money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Once you've heard high-fidelity reproduction, you'll be hard to satisfy with anything less. Now, uh, the first musical number on the program will be a piccolo solo, which we will skip. And what is so damn important? Who are these people? Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go. Hit it. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. As we've said before... As COVID goes, so goes Joe Biden's presidency. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a, a legislative continu- continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, uh, to uh, undermine the... Uh, the, the uh, so in a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese, com- uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Therefore, we were involved in creating the virus. People are waiting for tests. And do you think those tests are going to arrive in time to serve that need? Well, it's quite clear that the tests are not going to arrive in time. But maybe that's not such a bad thing because the more tests you have, the more positive people you're going to have. And if you don't have a good plan for what you're going to do with those positive people, it just adds more to the confusion. You need 10. Play clock at 4 from the pocket. Launching downfield, underthrown, and intercepted. And then the pick six to seal it. And one more play for the Georgia defense. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone, and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Jack Riccardi, 4 oh. till 7. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Demons be gone. <laughs> you don't hear that in sports very often. Poor Georgia. They win the national title last night. They get Biden and Harris today. What's? How did that happen? What's with that? That doesn't seem right. All right, welcome to our show. Jack Recording on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. You know how when you're hungry and you're angry, you're hangry? I've been hangry for like a year now. I don't know about you. We've got a lot to talk about. Settled in. Get comfortable. Here we go. 210-599-5555. People that voted for Joe Biden will never admit this. But if Joe Biden had told us what kind of president Joe Biden would be, he wouldn't be president today. The only way he got in there was by hiding during the campaign and promising to be a unifier. The hiding part meant we didn't see how addled and scrambled he is. The promising to be a unifier part was something you could you could project onto that whatever you wanted that to mean. No mean tweets, uh, you know, nothing controversial, centrist policies. We're going to play it right down the middle. The president and his VP are in Georgia today trying to start a new civil war. And... This is the furthest thing from unifying the country you could possibly be doing. What's even crazier is that Joe Biden, the senator, would have been totally opposed to what Joe Biden, the president, is saying today. Joe Biden, the senator, and the videotape abounds on this. Okay, you can find it everywhere. 
because he was in the Senate for a really long time. Joe Biden, the senator, called it disastrous to ever abandon the filibuster rule. All of the things that Joe Biden, the president, are, is proposing are things that Joe Biden, the senator, was against. In fact, Joe Biden, the senator, would have been more like Joe Manchin, the senator. So here we are with a guy that got into office on a totally false premise. I will unify the country. I will end the division. And he's trying to start a new civil war. Now, one of the big attack lines on Donald Trump is that he supports or believes or promotes a so-called big lie. The big lie is that he really won the 2020 election. He should still be in office. Well, what about the big lie the Democrats are telling? The big lie the Democrats are telling is that if we don't blow up the filibuster, if we don't nationalize elections, something we've never done in our history, something that is intentionally not done, something that is intentionally engineered out of the Constitution, if we don't do these things and we do them right now, got to do it right now, got to do it before Martin Luther King Day, which is Monday, why, it'll all fall apart, and the 2022 and 2024 elections will be illegitimate. So why isn't that a big lie? Why isn't arguing, why isn't planting the seed in people's minds that the next two elections will be illegitimate, will be stolen, in the absence of any evidence to that? Why isn't that also a big lie? And for people that voted for Joe Biden... I don't expect them to come out and admit this. I don't expect them to say it. But this isn't what they were promised. This isn't what they thought they were getting. This isn't a victory for democracy. This isn't unity. The Democrats' message today is America is on the brink, is on the cusp of a new civil war. The problem is they're the ones starting it. This is being manufactured by them and by their stenographer buddies in the news media. And the more they slide in the polls, the more heated and dramatic the rhetoric gets. Now, it's a, it's a sad reality that several of our recent elections have been doubted. The validity of those elections has been doubted by the people or the side that lost. Think Al Gore voters in 2000. Think Hillary Clinton voters in 2016. We told you in 2016 that... Um, a Washington Post survey after that election found that 69% of Hillary Clinton voters uh, said Donald Trump was not legitimately elected as president. Not that he was not legitimate, but that the election of him was not legitimate. This is not new. And this is, you know, this is a, a, an atmosphere that is superheated, that is polluted by politicians and their supposed message of unity. Speaking of which, speaking of which, if you've heard the show before, you know I'm not one of those in Fauci we trust people. But today was really a bad day for Dr. Science. He got into it with Rand Paul uh, in the Senate hearings, and Rand Paul revealed a series of emails uh, that Fauci had with Dr. Francis Collins, who just uh, 
retired or resigned from NIAD, in which they talk about, some of it is Collins, some of it is Fauci, they talk about taking down and smearing and going after those doctors who signed the Great Barrington Resolution and those doctors at Stanford and those doctors at Oxford and the U.K., prominent epidemiologists who were not towing the party line, who were dissenting from the U.S. science worldview on COVID-19. Again, if you want to believe he's a secular saint, you won't listen to any of this. I get that. I'd, I'd be knocking my head against the wall trying to, trying to show you this or, or, or explain any of it to you. But that's who he really is, a bitter bureaucrat so interested in protecting his own fiefdom that rather than embrace or at least respect people in science, he's talking about character assassination, getting them, going after them. It's pathetic and cheap. It sounds like a script from a B movie about organized crime. The CEO of Pfizer is in the news today. He's a man named Albert Borla. He says that there will be an Omicron variant vaccine ready as early as March. Did you know that there was going to be a new vaccine for Omicron? Didn't we have a guy call this show yesterday and waste about eight minutes of our time explaining how even though the Omicron variant eludes the vaccine, we should still mandate it? Why are we mandating this vaccine we have now if the people that make vaccines have already announced they're making a new one for the Omicron variant? Now, whether or not you're going to get it or I'm going to get it or you want it is not the point. His announcement removes any realistic consideration of mandating the current available vaccines. If they're working on something for Omicron, that's admission this doesn't work on Omicron. The Omicron variant has the last word on the Biden vaccine mandates. They are obsolete. And again, speaking of Georgia, if you are not a college football fan, congratulations to uh, the University of Georgia. They went 41 years without a college football title, and they won it last night. Uh, with a pretty good game against Alabama, 33-18, although it was actually much closer than that. Uh, and it was a well-fought game, well-played by both teams. Uh, let me just tell you this, and I, and, I, and I realize most people don't like college football with the passion that I do, but um, it was a great football game because Alabama and Georgia were the two best teams this year. So they needed to be, they deserved to be in the title game as they were. They... Um, have strength across the board. These are teams with outstanding uh, offense and defense, although in different ways. The Alabama offense is multifaceted, quarterback, running back, tight end. The Georgia offense is a little bit different. The Georgia quarterback, the guy that won the national championship last night, is a guy named Stetson Bennett. Not only is he not the best quarterback in the country, he's not even the best quarterback on the Georgia football team. All through this season, even at times when Georgia was ranked number one, fans wanted Stetson Bennett benched because Georgia has another quarterback who's better. 
And why aren't we playing him? A guy named J.T. Daniels. And what happened last night was one of those moments in sports that if you saw it, you never forget it. It was triumph of, of, of sheer guts and heart. Stetson Bennett is not a better quarterback than his Alabama counterpart. Like I said, he's not even really the best quarterback on his team. But boy, the guy plays with heart and, and soul. And there was so much just visceral, you know, don't quit in this kid. And it was an incredible thing to see. And uh, I don't want to overstate it, but I really believe when you watch something like that, you realize that when you're up against somebody who wants it more, you're not going to defeat them. Not with gaudy amounts of talent, not with uh, physical specimens, not with the, the probably the best football coach in the history of football, Nick Saban in Alabama. No question about that. This this guy, Stetson Bennett, just was not going to be denied. He had a dream. He'd had it his whole life. You don't want to go up against somebody like that. You need to be the person like that. Because if you're up against a person like that, you can't hold them down. And they didn't. And congratulations to Georgia. Everybody needs to have a moment like that where they have done everything they can do, left it all on the field, whatever your playing field is in life, and and know that you have made it, you have done it. And he was having that moment, that dream come true moment. And, you know, not, nothing against Alabama. Great team, great coach. They Had they won that game, it, would have, it wouldn't have surprised anybody. It wouldn't have been controversial in any way. It's not to their discredit that they didn't win the game, but, uh, wow, just an incredible uh, moment for that young man. 210-599-5555. So we're talking about a few things here. We've got um, really incendiary uh, political posturing going on by the president and the vice president, going to Georgia, uh, going to uh, the MLK Center, uh, calling for the end of the filibuster, uh, because that will save democracy, which is Orwellian, because the whole point of the Senate is to be the choke point, the slowdown, the deliberative body, the cooling saucer, they called it. So the whole point of the Senate was that it would be hard to get to the threshold of passing something through the Senate. It isn't supposed to be wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But but they want this nationalized uh, scheme for elections so badly that they're willing to deny their own past statements, their own past opposition to eliminating the filibuster. They're willing to risk the fact that someday Republicans will be in control of all this, but... It's not much of a risk when you think about how meek and timid the Republicans are when they have power. They don't wield it like the Chuck Schumers and the Harry Reeds did and do. Back when Joe Biden was a senator, he was one of those voices against this kind of radical change. He showed passion and consistency, believe it or not, in opposing the uh, abandonment of the filibuster rule. He said it would be disastrous. He said, God save us from that fate. This is why Joe Biden stumbles and fumbles when he speaks. It's not age as much as it is. He has to keep remembering his new current position on things. It's a position that often is 180 degrees removed from what's probably his real and what was certainly his past uh, position. So we've been talking about that. 
And then the CEO of Pfizer says that there will be a vaccine for the Omicron variant, possibly as early as March. He made the announcement on CNBC. Now, I don't know whether or not that is something you will want or I will want. I don't know if that is something we will need. But when you think about calling something the vaccine for the Omicron variant, and we're in the middle of an Omicron surge, how do you justify mandating a vaccine which this man has just essentially said is yesterday's news? Oh, well, it might help. Well, it might help a little. Well, it might have some effectiveness. Well, it could reduce a little. Well, it might, the, the mites and could, and that, that's not the stuff of which orders and edicts are made. I'm against mandating the vaccine, but I'm even more concerned that if, we, if you can mandate something without even having to make a public health case for it, That is a never-ending slippery slope. That thing just slides down into infinity. You you don't know where that can take you. And the fact that they can't climb down from it, they can't say, well, Omicron has changed. That's all I ask. Just just admit that Omicron has changed the equation, and, and it's time to have a different conversation. But they won't do it, which proves this really isn't so much about saving you from COVID-19 as it is about saving and extending power in the hands of people who have it. It can't be any clearer. I, I can't make it any clearer, but more importantly, they can't make it any clearer. We're going to talk about that. Now, the Supreme Court has heard the oral arguments for the vaccine mandates, but what argument can really be made? What argument is left for vaccine mandates after even the CEO of Pfizer says his company is rushing to the marketplace an Omicron variant-specific vaccine. That would seem to take the logic of mandating the current, not Omicron-specific vaccine, away. Uh, Here to talk about this and some other things with us is Professor Bill Pyatt, our constitutional law expert. And Professor, good to have you back. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Jack, and thank you very much for having me. It it did seem like there was a lot of skepticism among the justices uh, last week from what we were able to hear. And in particular, it seemed like they took a a, a separate view of the mandate for healthcare workers versus a mandate for 100 million private sector workers. I think you're right. So there's two things that the uh, court considered, constitutionality of two different approaches. One is that emergency temporary standard that applies to employers with 100 people or more throughout the United States, letting OSHA implement a VAX mandate. And the second is the uh, order that requires that those that participate in Medicare and Medicaid programs require that their health care providers get vaccinated. That one is actually only in effect in half the states right now. Theoretically, the ETS, the 100-plus employees, Theoretically, that's in place, although it's not going to really be enforced until February 9th. You know, when you think about OSHA workplace requirements or rules, they tend to be things that govern or affect your behavior or uh, your person while you are in the workplace. One of the objections to this is this is a rule. I mean, if you get the vaccine, you're not just vaccinated while you're at work. I think you're right. I think this is the first time that OSHA has ever attempted to try to impose a vaccination requirement. And the difficulty is, even though the states 
have general police powers, including the power to regulate the health of employees, the health of citizens, the rights of states to enforce quarantine rules has been upheld by the Supreme Court of the United States. The federal government does not have this same general police power. Nobody has elected OSHA to do anything and to put in the hands of an unelected bureaucracy a power that does not even seem to be allowed by the federal government seemed to be, as a result of the argument, seemed to be a bit of a stretch for the majority of the justices. The uh, the Medicare-Medicaid case might be a little bit different. Uh, there, the federal funding for the facilities that are employing these, these staff people, that creates a different scenario where, again, it's too hard to read the tea leaves, but it looks like a majority of the court is probably going to allow that to remain in effect, but not the general mandate. Moving on to the, I want to ask you about the filibuster issue. The president's talking about it in Georgia today. Um, it, it is ironic to hear the um, elimination of the filibuster rule, the federalization of elections, described as saving democracy, when these are things that so obviously short-circuit the design of the founders. Well, the filibuster rule is a rule of procedure in the Senate, and the Senate created it. The Senate could take it away. If the Senate does that and then puts into effect these dramatic changes to the election laws, there's a possible separate constitutional challenge, not to the doing away with the filibuster, but to removing from the states the power to conduct their own elections. The, uh, the broad federal mandates that would flow would make it almost impossible for states to create and regulate and implement their own election schemes. They would basically be reporting to the federal government on virtually all aspects of, of voter registration, timing of voter registration, timing of elections. I think it would be, I think that would be a, a bit much in terms of trying to maintain a federalist system. Well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, it, it, there's something really wrong about the states having to ask for permission back to conduct the elections or or appeal to a court to have restored to them powers that were that were intelligently designed uh, in the first place. The, the separation of powers was intentional, and 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 I I have to think from reading some of the Federalist Papers. This is something very specifically that would have eaten at and concerned the people at the ratification convention or, or the founders themselves, that, that the federal government would be dictating how these elections are held. I mean, you, you know, when you look at, at how, when you look at the argument it took to get the states to ratify the Constitution, the states constantly had to be reassured things like this would not happen. I think you're right. The Constitution does contain requirements for those that would hold federal offices. For example, the qualifications for president, senators, U.S. House of Representatives. The Constitution says these federal officials must meet these minimum requirements, but then leaves it up to the states to design how to implement the elections. So states could not alter the requirements for the presidency or the senator or the House. And just like Similarly, under our federal system right now, the federal government can't come in and restrict and regulate the way the states conduct their own elections. So I think there is a serious constitutional problem, not with removing the filibuster, that's a procedural rule, but with an attempt to impose a federal mandate on state elections, basically removing from the states the 
power to govern their own election schemes. You know, one of the most common debates we have, I think, these days, and it comes up a lot on our show, is the actions of big tech companies deplatforming or silencing uh, certain conservatives or politicians with whom they disagree. And on one level, you have to say, it has to be said, that these are private companies. Their actions are not akin to censorship, which is an act of government to prevent you from exercising your free speech rights. So if I'm if I'm booted off Twitter, I'm not censored. I'm simply not allowed by a private company which has the right to allow or disallow. Uh, I'm simply not allowed to present those points of view on Twitter. I can still go elsewhere and, 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 and do that. But what's concerning to me and a lot of people, uh, Professor, is the in, in increasing and obvious I guess coordination between government and these companies so that in essence censorship is happening and it's being carried out by entities that that can't technically censor because they're private but it's being done at the behest of people in government what 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 is the remedy for that I mean first of all do you do you agree that that is evident or seems to be happening and then if you do what is the remedy for that yes I think it's obvious it's happening and there's a difficulty in the rem- in creating a remedy. Theoretically, they're private companies, and as you say, they have the right to speak. They have the First Amendment right to speak and not to speak. And they have the right to allow people on their platforms to speak, and they have the right, theoretically, not to allow people on their platforms to speak. But if these private individuals are conspiring with government officials to violate people's civil rights, that opens up the possibility of an action to try to recover damages to prevent them from conspiring with government officials to violate people's civil rights. But even then, you'd run into the problem that under the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, that famous Section 230C2, provides protection from civil liability for removing or moderating third-party material that the uh, host deems offensive, even if it would otherwise be constitutionally protected speech. So I think realistically the remedies, as you described, is go to a separate platform, create a separate platform, or theoretically have Congress repeal mm-hmm. Section 230 of the Communications and Decency Act, but that would require mm-hmm. a majority in both houses and approval of the president, and that's not going to happen now. I, I used to have more faith in the start a new Twitter argument until I saw the incredible takedown of Parler, how, how rapidly and efficiently what was for a moment the fastest growing app in the app store and they took it out back and shot it uh and and obviously did that to prevent it from becoming an alternative or a competitor uh to their uh platforms i i guess the only thing that worries me as much as what we're talking about is i worry about a government solution because then you're putting government um into the business of policing language and we we don't want it more of that we don't want a government solution we don't want the government dictating to any media outlet hey you've got to let this person on that's as bad as what's happening now yeah and then what would happen is right now the the remedy if someone doesn't have access to twitter and doesn't have access to one of the other platforms create their own platform seek alternative platforms or go to traditional media uh, there are still outlets that will carry an alternative view to what Twitter espouses. Uh, but again, you're right. If the government starts regulating Twitter, starts telling Twitter who they can and can't have on the platform, there's just a short step between saying, all right, well, then the next mm-hmm. 
step of censorship will be the broadcast media. Mm -hmm. So we're either going to have state-run media or we're going to have media that lets the state run it. Yes, or we have free-spirited <laughs> individuals that will continue to speak up on whatever platform they've got. Let's hope for that. Always interesting. Right. Professor, thank you so much. I appreciate your time tonight. I hope we can hope we can call on you again soon. Thank you, Jack. I look forward to it. Uh, you can jump in here at 210-599-5555. So people are uh, starting to post this on social media. You go to a restaurant, and either there's a sign or there's a note on the menu or they tell you uh, that they're no longer bringing complimentary chips and salsa to the table. It's not not available anymore. It's not free anymore. If you want it, you got to buy it. And people's noses are out of joint, not because they want free food, but because that was always a thing, right? You sit down, you look at the menu, you're looking around, you're getting ready to order, they bring out the chips and the salsa, right? And the reason restaurants say they are no longer providing it gratis is either inflation or supply issues or maybe both have you have you noticed this has this happened anywhere you've been where they used to bring it out and now they either charge you for it or they just don't do it anymore they don't give it anymore i'm not and i don't I, i'm not trying to run down the places that are doing this i'm not saying this to criticize their decision i want to make a different point because I, right now, I'm all about, I want these restaurants to survive. I want them to stay in business. I want them to be there for us when we can go to them. I want the people who work there to keep their jobs. I'm not, this isn't about let's, let's make a list of the places that don't have free chips anymore and yell at them. No, 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 not at all. And you shouldn't, if they, if they tell you this, it's not, that's not your, that, you know, don't stand up and give some kind of speech in the middle of the dining room. My point is, the politicians are lying about the supply chain. They're lying about the bare shelves. They're lying about having fixed it or that it isn't a problem to begin with. These restaurants doing this is a last-ditch move. Nobody with half a brain would take something like that away from customers who expect it and want it unless he or she had to do that. So I'm not, I, I get it. But I want to know if you've seen it. I have not yet encountered that. But apparently it's starting to happen around San Antonio and other places. No more chips and salsa. If you've, if you've found it, again, just curious to know if you've encountered this. Now, there's something interesting going on. There's a hashtag, Bear Shelves Biden, on Twitter. We talked about this weeks ago, and we had people sending in pictures. And what people do is they will post a picture from a store they've been in. It could be a supermarket. It could be like a Target or a Walmart. But they'll post a picture of, you know, the bread aisle is empty or the dairy aisle is empty or there's no, you know, beans in the bean aisle or whatever whatever it is. And the hashtag is bare shelves Biden. The interesting thing is, you wouldn't normally, uh, you wouldn't go there in your thinking if there was a shortage of something. You wouldn't, the first thought wouldn't be, well, whoever the president is, right? But the reason it's bare shelves Biden is because Joe Biden is trying to run away from this problem. And Joe Biden is lying about having solved this problem. Right before Christmas, he did a uh, pool spray moment with the media. Uh, I think it was two or three days before Christmas. 
where he said, we've solved it, we've confronted it. But the pictures keep showing up. They're, they're all over my Twitter feed, and you've probably seen them too. They're from all over the country. And the interesting thing is there's no uh, pattern to it. It's not one kind of thing, one kind of merchandise. It's not just groceries or grocery stores. It's general retailers like Target and Walmart. It's uh, auto parts. It's uh, hardware. It's cold medicine. Okay, bad weather. Yeah, we have some of that every year. COVID? Well, if you're going to say it's COVID, what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean that so many people have COVID and are sick that we've stopped producing things? Or do you mean that because of COVID response by the government, trucks aren't rolling, containers aren't being unloaded at ports? Is that what you mean? Because it would be one thing if the country was just, pro, you know, prostrate with, with, uh, with COVID. We just could, nobody could drag themselves to work to make something or produce something. But that isn't the case. We're a country that even, even with an epidemic should be able to produce and deliver and move around logistically the things people need. That we're not doing it that we still have four million people who were in the workforce before and are not now is not COVID. That is government. That is politics. And you can, you can, you can spin the employment numbers any way you want. But there were four million people doing something, producing something two years ago that aren't doing that anymore. And it's not that they're unable to. It's that they just choose not to. So what are you seeing? 210-599-5555. When you add up all the pictures on the Internet, when you add up all the anecdotes, all the reports, there's a genuine problem here. And not only is the White House lying about it, but their new spin on it is, well, this is just conservatives hyping it, or these are these people posting it on Twitter are just Republicans. Okay, well, maybe they are, because probably if you're a Democrat, you're too embarrassed to post vi- visual evidence of how ridiculous this guy is. But, but that doesn't make it untrue. It may be seized upon. It may be taken advantage of by Republicans. They may be gleeful and hashtagging at bare shelves Biden. That may all be true. When you F up, your opponents are going to revel in it. That's how politics works. But the facts remain. That, so saying it's Republicans posting it doesn't mean it isn't happening. doesn't mean it isn't true. And that's what the Biden defenders are saying now. Well, this is just being amped up by far-right wingers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But are we hallucinating when we look at the empty shelf? Are we... Not able to believe our own lying eyes? 210-599-5555. And, you know, you have people in the industry. And these these are not political people. These are just people that are trying to get stuff done and make a profit who are saying they've never seen anything like this. There's a, a guy named um, John Katsimidis who owns a chain of uh, gourmet uh, grocery stores in the Northeast. And he also now has started to buy up some radio stations. 
And he is saying that um, we're, we're only in the beginning of this, that prices for grocery staples are going to go higher and shortages are going to become more acute, and that this is taking its toll at different levels of the supply chain, from the producers to the warehouses to the loaders and drivers to the people that stock the shelf at the store where you and I go. And these, these uh, interruptions are compounding each other. One is leading to another. So we're, we're digging our way out of a hole that we're not, we're not finished digging yet, is what he's basically saying. He, like a lot of people in his industry, say we're, we're running at full capacity. We're doing everything we can do. We've, we've, we've got all hands on deck. We're running every truck we can get a driver for. But this is a challenging situation. We're not done. Tell me what you're seeing, what you think. 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Lee is on the radio. Lee, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I only know about one part of this, and that is that I needed some plumbing supplies, and I couldn't find them. And when I did, they had like quadrupled in price. And what I found out after talking to people, particular plumbing items were on a ship. The ship was ordered further off the coast, so it couldn't be seen by the by people in California. And then finally, they just gave up. They just threw threw everything in the sea and went back. And that's why there's certain plumbing items that you can't even get. And if you do find mm-hmm. it, you're going to pay way too much for it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, did you ever think this 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 sounds like a third world problem, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, we're heading there anyway, so. Well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean that we we can't just we can't just fold our arms and go. Oh well, there goes the country. I mean, people need to get mad about this, not just resign to it, right? Yeah. What I'd like you to do is to just go to any restaurant and find out what they were paying for certain supplies two oh, years yeah. ago and what they're paying yeah. today. I think you'd be surprised because I know they're telling me when I talk to them things have gone up like. 50, 60, 70%. I've had that conversation, and I'll tell you what a lot of restaurant guys are doing, and, and I, I, I sympathize with them. They are not raising their prices on the menu by as much as the uh, supply price or the wholesale price has gone up. They're trying to see if they can bridge the, the, the gap or, or hold out because we, people won't pay $24 for a hamburger, but... Um, they're hoping that maybe temporarily, if they take a loss on things like cheese or bread, eventually they'll be able to make it back. But that's that's the position a lot of these restaurants are in right now. Look, we're not talking about we're not talking about you know Riverwalk restaurants or restaurants that are in five star resort hotels up on the uh, on the north side. We're talking about people who are the neighborhood restaurant. They have been there a long time. They know their customers. They can't go up very much more on the price. Or people just won't come in, not in an angry, hostile way, but it'll just be something people don't do anymore. Eating out will just be something that their customers don't do anymore. When that happens, it doesn't matter what you're paying for the supplies because you've got nobody to sell them to or make them for. Um, but what's infuriating to me is that this this is a creation of political decisions. And it's being blamed on the virus as if the virus... Flattening the tires on trucks, or uh, sinking the the ships, or pushing the the containers off the decks of the 
ships. That's not what's happening. It's how we've responded to the virus. It's not the virus. 210-599-5555. And again, we were talking about how some restaurants are even now putting a sign on the table when you sit down. Be, the chips are no longer complimentary. We, we, we can't do that anymore. We're not doing that anymore. You have to know that's the last thing they wanted to tell you. Or how about the places where you go? I'm seeing this more and more. You go to a place and there's a sign on the door, and we're all looking now at that. You know, you're looking to see if you got to wear a mask or whatever. Can I go in? Is this a place that even has seating or is it takeout only? You got to read the door everywhere you go now, right? So now you're seeing signs on the door that's a litany of excuses. I went to a place the other night. I'm not going to name it. And the sign on the door was like a, a, a list of excuses. We're very, you know, we're very sorry. We're, sh- we're shorthanded. We're short on supplies. We can't make everything on the menu. Please be patient, et cetera, et cetera. It's like before you even go in, they're telling you lower your expectations. Again, I, I know a lot of these people. This is not how they want to run their business. This is not why they got into restauranting. But we have to, we have to not resign ourselves to this like oh well i guess it's the new normal it's covid that's pathetic do you want to live like this i don't want to live like this do you think this is how it has to be i don't think it is Uh, this is not who we are or we've ever been yeah i mean if there's if there's one business sector that we work with a lot on this show it's you know mom and pop small independently owned restaurants we've we've had a great and they've been wonderful supporters of this show and friends and they've become friends and um not even not not, not to mention the fact that I I like going out to eat but I mean just just these are good people and these are good businesses and they employ people and a lot of a lot of us had our first job got our our feet wet in the in the job market for the first time in these small businesses like food service or fast food or a pizza place or a you know a mexican restaurant or whatever it is chinese restaurant whatever it is and and um and so i feel for them and i know that this is not they don't they're not they're not laughing about this they're not smug about this when they're taking things off the menu when they're putting a sign on the instead of instead of welcome we 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 can't wait to serve you putting a sign on the door saying everyone who comes in here better lower their expectations this isn't going to be a very good experience you're going to have to wait you might order something and get your hopes up for it and we don't have it that to, to for them to put that sign on the door tells you a lot and the response to that has to be no we were this is not how it's going to be and there has to be and an, we have to demand better and politicians are completely on the hook for this. They broke the supply chain. They broke the economy with their response to COVID. They thought you could turn the economy on and off like a light switch. I mean, literally, right? They thought you could turn it off for two weeks, turn it back on. Oh, well, maybe 30 days, but turn it back on. They thought everything would just snap back into place. Republicans and Democrats federal and state and they were wrong and they've done this 210-599-5555 alex is on ktsa alex good afternoon hi good afternoon thank you for taking my call i have recently experienced big time what the subject is this afternoon 
I went into one of the local Mexican restaurants and I sat and sat and sat and I thought to myself, I didn't ask, but I thought, wow, no chips, no salsa. Then I went to a authentic Mexican restaurant. Oh, they came out right away with the chips and the salsa. And I was at one of our local HEBs today out on Fredericksburg Road. And I heard on with the guys this morning, people calling in about empty shelves. Wow, it was empty. Good luck on the cat food. Good luck on that cat food. And on the haircutting business, I used to go to a real nice salon on Broadway, and the lady cuts hair very, very good. And she went up to 55 bucks. I said, oh, no. And then with a tip. And she blamed it on COVID. I just told her, oh, come on now. No way. So I don't go there anymore. You have a good afternoon, sir. (laughs) Glad you got that off your chest, Alex. Um, I don't know about the haircut part, but, yeah, I mean, look, nobody opens a business so that they cannot serve you. Nobody opens a business so that they can disappoint you. Nobody says, I'm going to serve pretty good hamburgers or I'm going to make every third customer kind of happy. I mean, nobody does that. Nobody gets into business wanting to do that. Those signs that you see are kind of distress signals, and they're early warning signs. And it won't stop with the chips and the salsa or whatever they're taking away or or withholding now. I'm not, you know, the other thing you notice is you see restaurants where you, you can't go in. They're open, but you've got to take it. Or restaurants that have dramatically curtailed their hours. We're closing at two. We're closing at four. Again, you know, you know they don't want to do this. Well, we broke the economy. And by I say we, I mean the politicians. And they are acting like we should all get used to this. They are labeling it the new normal. That would be like me smashing into your car and the fenders are dented, and the door's buckled, and you can't open them, and the glass is broken, and you look at me and you go, what the hell is this? And I say to you, well, that's the new appearance of your car. That's the new normal. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to be now. From now on, that's how your car is going to look. Well, I can't open the door. Well, get in on the other side. I mean, that's what they're doing, if you let them. Uh, Today is the birthday of the designated hitter rule. If you're a baseball fan... You may even be old enough to remember when we didn't have the designated hitter rule. And we still don't have it in the National League, but it's coming. This day in 1973, Major League Baseball announced that American League pitchers would no longer bat. So when the pitcher's spot came up in the order, in addition to the position players batting, there would now be a designated hitter, a player who didn't play in the field and just hit. And it was a boon offensively. I I think if you look statistically, the American League has been outperforming the National League offensively ever since that time, or more or less, maybe not every single season, but generally, uh, because the pitcher is usually kind of the Achilles heel of, of, of the batting order, right? And when you see most pitchers, when they bat, it's not exactly baseball 101. So you got this... You got this slugger, you got this guy that's good with the bat but doesn't have the wheels anymore or can't play the outfield or is sketchy at first base. You put him in at DH. Um, I've, I've never liked the DH rule, and I've always been happy to see the National League pitchers have to hit. And even though they're crummy, most of them, 
it makes the game more interesting because now, especially in a close game or a meaningful game like the like the playoffs or the World Series, now the manager has to be you know has to think strategically and 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 you know figure out what to do when the pitcher spot comes up and how to you know whether or not to let the pitcher bat or not. It's a it's part of the strategy of the game and you know part of the fun of watching baseball when you're sitting at home or wherever you are watching or listening to a game, is you're managing the game along with the manager, right? You're saying, would I have done that? Why doesn't he do this? I hate to see it go. But apparently, when they get this collective bargaining thing done in baseball, which is going to be any day now, the National League will also have a designated hitter. So we probably have seen the last, as of last postseason, we've probably seen the last of National League pitchers coming to the plate uh what do you think about the dh rule do you like it hate it i I, again it's been around so long it's weird to talk about but today happens to be the anniversary of it 1973 major league baseball adopted the dh for the american league national league didn't have it never did uh they would trade off in the postseason and now it's going to come to the national league as well so again it's not the biggest part of the game but it kind of takes some of the some of the managerial chess playing out of it, you know. And and I think of all the sports when you think about all the major league sports, baseball is really the one where managers can can really strategize in game. I mean, it, it, basketball and hockey, it's go go go. You got to call a timeout. Football, yeah, a little bit, but. Most of the strategizing and, and planning of plays and putting together playbooks obviously happens before the game and often even before the season. But there's something about a baseball game where, um, you know, the manager goes out to the mound and confers with the pitcher or, you know, uh, calls down to the bullpen to see what's what. I mean, there's just, there's that, there's that in-game strategy that makes baseball different. And I suppose all of this, to some people, makes baseball boring. I, I, I've heard people say to me, I don't know how you can like baseball. It's so slow. It's so boring. And even even that is something they're working on. They're attempting to create sort of a pacing where the, the game has to move along faster. Um, I, I guess my my take would be if you can't put in a couple hours, a few hours, then maybe it's not your sport. You know, I I think it's... I think it's meant to be played at the speed it's played. I, I, I would, and again, all of this probably sounds like, well, Jack, Jack just doesn't like any change of any kind. I, I, I guess maybe you could say that. I guess that would be a fair criticism. But to me, uh, the DH rule was sort of the beginning of walking away from the things that made baseball so unique. And, uh, because, Having the pitcher come to the plate and hit, and again, there are exceptions. There were some great catfish hunter, and there's a handful of guys in baseball today who were really good hitting pitchers. I mean, they they were, they were dangerous at the plate, but most of them are dangerous in another way, and some of them are just flat out funny to watch. But it creates that: what are we going to do every time that position comes up? What's the decision going to be now? So we'll see. I don't really understand why the nine one one call from the hotel in Orlando where Bob Saget passed away, why that had to be 
uh, released or publicized. And, and, and you, you won't find me making this argument very often. You know, I, I, I work in the media. I, I tend to think when in doubt, put it out there. You know, that every, every information might have value to somebody, even if you and I don't want it or see the value in it. But I really don't know what the, what the news value was of that 911 call. I've heard it. I'm not going to play it. It's completely routine, if that's the right word. I, I suppose it's not routine to find one of your hotel guests passed away in his bed, but there's nothing about Bob Saget's death so far that looks out of sorts or uh, suspicious or, uh, or, or salacious. Um, and um, the call itself is just a guy calling the local emergency center and saying we have a guest who's unresponsive and um, there's no pulse and the operator goes over it with them as they do they kind of make you repeat stuff a few times it's routine everybody's doing what they're supposed to do in that situation and the man died he died in this bed uh, there was no sign of foul play there was no nothing that would suggest he was doing drugs or whatever but God, I mean, I just, I think of his family, you know, and I think, do they have to hear this? Do they have to know about this? Is this, is this news? What did we do before we had this kind of stuff? They didn't used to release these things. I'm not even sure they used to have tapes of them, to be honest, but, um, I'm not sure why it would be in the news. And, uh, we'll see. We'll see where the story goes, but it, it's kind of a puzzler to me. Uh, 210 599 5555. We've, we've talked about this a number of times before. There are people that go into Congress with, hardly two dimes to rub together they borrow and beg for money to run the campaign but by the time they leave congress after many 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 terms lo and behold they're millionaires you would think if you didn't know that the fastest way to get rich is to serve in congress and People are starting to notice, and Peter Schweitzer's written a lot about the phenomenon of insider trading, or if it's not literally insider trading, certainly the access that elected officials have to information that can inform their investment decisions. Well, our next guest is working on it in the House, Congressman Chip Roy, Republican from South Texas, joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. So this is a big Concern, and it's a concern of people, Congressman Roy, in both parties. I noticed that John Ossoff has a bill in the Senate. You and he could not be politically more opposite. But what what can be done about uh, stock trades and inside trades in Congress? Well, uh, great to be on the show as always. And yeah, I mean, I've introduced legislation with my Democrat friend Abigail Spamberger from Virginia. Um, the legislation is not as pretty simple as to say that if you've got uh, you know your investments when you're a member of Congress that 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 should be uh, put in a blind trust or or you should be limited to trading sort of broadly uh, held, uh, you know, uh, index funds, right? Um, things that aren't specific to a particular, you know, equity or company. Um, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm open to ideas on how to shape that. I understand. We don't want to, you know, discourage some of our best and brightest uh, business folks out there, whether they're small businessmen or women or whether they're in corporate America from serving. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's too much to ask to say that we can take some of that stuff, take that issue off the table, eliminate even the appearance of conflict when you've got significant issues that we've seen unfold, right? Whether it was a Republican like 
Now, Senator Burr, who, you know, the SEC said had access to, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but, you know, uh, non-public information, information that was material, um, you know, as we're heading into the pandemic or whether it's what we just saw unfold with Speaker Pelosi. Um, you know, again, I don't like, you know, bureaucracy and paperwork. But uh, at the end of the day, if you can put your stuff into a black trust or into a broadly traded index fund, I think that would help. And so there's bipartisan interest in focusing on that. Now, I agree with that, and I support what you're doing. But let me ask you, some of the stories that have come out in recent years involve members of the House or Senate telling family members or friends about pending legislation or regulations. So how would you or could you do anything about that? It's Your, your, your proposal is about his or her own holdings, but what do you do if they're telling people around them uh, inside information? Well, and that's one of those uh, issues that you got to kind of look at the facts and whether there was something that would be deemed as insider trading and not be able to tighten those kinds of things down. I know, as I said, like the SEC looked at Senator Burr, um, and it's obviously difficult to then get into what was publicly available, what was not publicly available. That's why, for me, the at least cleaning up the deck of those who are voting on this stuff from being able to profit on it. Um, obviously, you know, members could be able to share some information, you know, with family or friends. Uh, most of what we do up here is publicly available, uh, but it really, it's, it's, it's when you, you're seeing folks who are making decisions based on it. To me, it's the conflict of interest of you're voting on policies involving, for example, Google or Amazon or big tech, and you've got a massive position in that portfolio. I'm not talking about like, you know, a hundred shares that you, you know, you had or something, but you know, thousands of shares and, and, um, and you're, you're making a decision on policy that's going to impact that. Or maybe it's the healthcare field, Pfizer, big insurance companies, you know, insurance companies made, made money hand over fist since Obamacare got implemented. Obviously the vaccine raises certain issues for Pfizer and other of the pharmaceutical companies. I think if you could clean that deck off, you help a lot. But you could tighten down some sort of insider trading information. You could go prove that case up. Uh, but those are always, you know, those are difficult cases. They're difficult cases in the private sector. Yeah. So I just could you extend? Things. Yeah. Could you extend the control to a spouse? Is that within the purview of the rules of of the house? Sure. So we yes, and we you know the legislation that uh, Abigail and I introduced would in fact apply to the member and the spouse of the member, uh, as well as I think dependents. I think is how we worded the, the the language of the bill. I haven't seen what Senator Ossoff and some of the others are working on on the other side of the Capitol uh, specifically. I know um, Leader McCarthy put out some stuff today. Um, I've talked to his staff uh, again, trying to kick off the conversation, just saying we should try to ensure the integrity of. Uh, Congress by kind of taking this issue off the table. And some of my colleagues don't like that, right? They think it's us interfering with, you know, Pelosi said it's interfering with the free market. Of course, I love it when suddenly the free market, <laughs> the big advocate of the free market. Oh, yes. Listen, listen, account, so. no one believes in freedom more than Nancy Pelosi. Um, speaking right. of which, you, 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 I got to, I got to pull back a little bit. I know this is a little bit outside your, your uh, ballpark, sure. but Look, um, the president today goes to Georgia and tries to kick off a new civil war, uh, basically. This is, this is the man that was elected to be the great unifier. Um, and it isn't just the filibuster, but certainly that's his issue of the moment. Um, you can't help but see what's happening here. I mean, this is incendiary, divisive, nationalizing elections kinds of stuff that is the antithesis of what he ran on. Yeah, I mean, what we heard today, uh, and I didn't get to see the great details. I've seen, I've, I've read over the coverage of what he said. 
um, is more of the same. It's like a page out of their normal playbook, which is to uh, stoke fear and to make wild claims that are completely inaccurate. They're lies. Uh, you know, the Voting Rights Act has been, uh, you know, stripped and overturned. It's not true. The Voting Rights Act is fully in place, right? There's just a provision about preclearance that the Supreme Court said was based on 50-year-old data, right? These bills that states are passing, oh, these are Jim Crow. Jim Crow, these bills expand the ability to vote. You may not love all the implications. You may think there ought to be more mail-in ballots and all that. I think they're wrong. But it doesn't, it's not Jim Crow. It's completely absurd. It's purposeful. It's lying. It's divisive. Because that's, frankly, what my Democrat colleagues, what they have left to sell, which is to sell fear. That's what they do. Do you worry, though, that they are essentially um, preconditioning their base to not accept the results of the next two elections? Yeah, so that's clearly part of it, right? They want to continue to sow uh, discontent and sow the belief that this is um, you know, that, 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 that we should not be able to trust those. And this could be further from the truth, right? The legislation that Texas passed was responsible legislation that would vastly improve our elections in Texas. And, you know, uh, it, it made mail-in ballots have to have voter IDs. It did all this stuff. You know, you've gone over it. It was responsible and a response to make sure we can have integrity in our elections. I mean, personally, I think we ought to be voting uh, on Election Day. Like, I think we ought to be uh, you know, showing up on election day, so we're not voting on different information. For example, what was on Hunter Biden's laptop, right? So, I would prefer that we push elections closer to election day. We're make it a holiday, fine by me. But, uh, but this business that uh, this is all, you know, they're stealing the elections. It's Jim Crow. It's, not, it's all purposeful. We hear a lot in the Senate about uh, Mansion and Cinema, but you're in the House. Are there Democrats in the House who quietly are? not okay with the extremism their party is is pursuing at the moment i mean and i'm not asking you to name names but i mean are there people like mansion and cinema in the house you know i wish i could say that there were or that there were more you know there i'm not going to name names there are a couple but it is precious few um you know i've been happy to work on several bills with some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle i've got actually quite a few uh and gotten several across the goal line uh for a you know, freshman member of Congress now, now sophomore. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, there is way too much divide, and there just aren't that many that we can go kind of sit down and roll our sleeves up. Now, part of that's because the system is so broken. If we were forced, instead of just writing a blank check and spending all the money in the world, if we were forced to have to come to the table and decide how to spend money and actually force difficult decisions like you do at your home or the businesses or the radio station does or anything else, then we'd actually have to sit down, roll our sleeves up, and look each other in the eye and say, okay, mm-hmm. I'd like to fund defense, and I'd like to fund Social Security, and I'd like to fund, you know, a border security and so forth. You want to fund the NEA? Okay, where are you going to find the money, right? You want to fund, right, and go down the list, but we never have to do that. And so until we do that, we're going to be pretty hopelessly divided. So I'm going to try to force that question uh, this year and every day that I'm in Congress. Well, we're going to follow the insider uh, trading issue with great interest, and thanks for your work on that. And thanks for coming on with us, Congressman Shiproy. We appreciate it. Hey, God bless. Take care. I forget now the title and the author, and I guess I forget because this book had zero relevance any longer. But it was a book about great uh, across-the-aisle friendships in American political history, so occasions where uh, people of opposing parties... And remember, it wasn't always Republicans and Democrats. It was Federalists and Whigs and all these other parties that we had. But anyway, moments in our history when people that were of opposing political parties or viewpoints were nonetheless friends. And I I think that probably still happens. 
But when I hear the whole we got to find middle ground thing, um, I, I, I'm afraid the answer is no. And let me explain what I mean. Middle ground between the left and the right was when both sides wanted to get to the same place but just had different ideas about getting there or maybe different ideas about what it would take to get there. That's not what is going on right now. If I'm sitting at a table with the squad, there's no middle ground because people like that want it all. They want everything. They want all the power. They want all the control. They want people like you and me to totally shut up, shut down. They're, they're not going to settle for half of it. And you wouldn't want to settle for half of it. You wouldn't want half of socialism. You wouldn't want half of the nationalization of factories. You wouldn't want half of your free speech taken away. E- even if they would settle for half, half of what they want is unacceptable. We're not at a point anymore where you win and I win and you get some of what you want and I get some of what I want. I'm not saying that doesn't happen between you and me or between people, but at the national level, the radicalization of the left makes finding middle ground impossible. Again, two reasons. They won't take half a loaf and you wouldn't be able to live with half, even half, of what they're trying to do to this country. And that, I think, is why... I'm just not that interested in, oh, isn't it great when Republicans and Democrats golf together or their kids play together? Well, maybe it is for the people involved, but that's not what we need more of right now. And I know that's a very unpopular thing to say. You may be looking funny at your radio, but that's the, that's where we're at right now. That's what's happened. You can't, there, there's a kind of radicalism that you cannot give any ground to, um, at all. Or you're done. You're over. They will run right over you. You you hear it. You see it in their in their faces. You hear it in their voices. You see the vitriol. They don't want a halfway with you. They want you over. If you're a baseball fan, do you like the DH rule? It's going to be universal DH this coming season. Looks like the National League adding designated hitters. The American League's had them. Uh, since this day in 1973, when it was first announced. Michael calling in on the poll question tonight on KTSA. Hi, Michael. Hey, Jack. How's it going? It's going. Are you a DH fan? No, I'm a big baseball fan. I don't like the DH never did. I feel like everyone needs to play a position. Uh, yeah. Having the DH yeah. in the National League, yeah, it gives it a separate identity. <clears throat> Even though I'm a Yankees fan, I always felt, you know, National League baseball is very exciting. Um, you know, they want to try to speed up the game and try to market to a younger audience. In my opinion, this doesn't reach a younger audience. You know, if anything, it just it loses fans, in my opinion. You know, I love seeing the pitcher's head, honestly. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you on that. I There's just something about when you watch a National League game and the pitcher bats, you, you feel like you're watching baseball the way it's always been played. I know they've added a ton of things. They've added lights and they've added technology and, you know, uh, radar guns. But I don't know. There's just something pure about it. And it, it just feels like they're caving in, you know, like they're trying to, they're trying to win people over who, as you say, they're probably not going to win over anyway. 
Yeah, honestly, the fans that they have are the fans that they have. It's a timeless yeah. game. There's really there's too yeah. much editing going on. I don't like the direction it's going in, especially with the lockout. It's very disappointing. Yeah. But uh, I'll let yeah. you get some more callers. Thanks for taking my call, Jack. I appreciate Thank you, it. Michael. Good good to hear from you. I I, I agree with you. Um, now the only the only good thing that came about with the DH rule, and again, I guess you could you could question how much of a good thing this is, but. There were a number of players on a number of teams who were able to extend their career, play a little longer, hang in there a little longer, hit some more home runs. Because there were guys that would, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking, for example, uh, of a guy like Paul Molitor, who played most of his career for the Milwaukee Brewers, one of my favorite players growing up. And he was a great position player. And he played a lot of different positions. I think the guy did everything but pitch. But... Toward the end of his career, uh, he was still a great hitter, but he didn't have the, the wheels for the, for the outfield anymore. And, and, uh, the DH extended him a little bit. And then there were guys that got a little heavy or got a little, you know, uh, tended to, to not maybe be in the best physical shape. And that's the other thing about baseball players. You know, when you look at, <laughs> you look at baseball players, some of them do not look like professional athletes, right? They, 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 but the DH rule meant that a guy that could still get around on a fastball and hit it out of the park could play, but maybe he wasn't in the shape to chase down a, a line drive in the outfield or or, or stab a uh, you know a stinger in the infield. I um, so I guess you could make that argument. That isn't even the reason they're going to universal DH, though. Like Michael said, they're they're doing all the things they're doing to try to make baseball more peppy and 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 fast pace the problem is you're not going to make it like basketball no matter how much you do there's there's not gonna be a fast break and so if if we're worried about people having short attention spans and and we are and the whole entertainment and sports world is worried about that um that's that's just a thing you baseball will always have to be a sport that if you want to enjoy it You've got to let it come to you. You've got to take it at its at the pace that it's being played. And no matter what changes or rule changes they make, and I'm sure there's more to come, timing the you know intervals between pitches, or uh, you know shortening the warmups that a relief pitcher can throw, or shortening the uh, time at the plate for a guy to hitch and adjust and twitch. Remember, there was a guy that played for the Cleveland Indians. Don, you'll probably remember this guy. This was about this had to be about thirty or forty years ago. Mike Hargrove was a Cleveland Indians player. We always remembered him being an American League guy. Um, and I think he became a manager later on, if I'm not mistaken. You never saw a guy took longer at the plate than Mike Hargrove. He had to adjust everything. His belt, his shirt, his gloves, his shoelaces, his underwear, his you know fillings, his hair. I mean, he just had so many twitches and... and rituals that he went through before he got into the batter's box. And I really do think, and the announcers at the time would say it, it was all about, you know, basically psyching out or throwing off the pitcher. You know, and if you came into a game, you came up to the plate, and the pitcher had been blowing through people and striking them out, now all of a sudden there's Mike Hargrove taking 40 minutes to get ready to to bat while the pitcher would cool down. And... uh he, I think he had pretty good success. I don't remember his statistics. I didn't look him up, but I think he was a pretty good hitter, probably partly for that reason. 
So that's what's happening. The DH rule is going away entirely. But on this day in 1973, it went away in the American League, stayed in the National League. Um, and then we talked about the National Championship for Georgia. Congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, if you're not a college football fan, I'll, I'll keep this brief. If you are any kind of a football fan, it was a terrific game. Really well played. Two outstanding teams, outstanding coaches, a lot of sportsmanship and, and, and class. You know, these are the elites of college football, and the kids out there acted like it. They acted like they should be wearing the uniforms of the two elite programs in college football. So it was a good game. And uh, Stetson Bennett was had one of those moments that come up every so often in athletics when you're not the best guy, you're not the best player, but you are so hungry, and you are in your dream moment so utterly in that moment that you're just not going to be denied. I mean, Alabama had some injuries. They had, they had a couple of guys that didn't play at all. They had a guy go out in an injury. They were, they were beat up and battered, but you can't, you can't make that excuse. They're still Alabama. They still had the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, and they still couldn't do it because Stetson Bennett was not going to lose that game, period. And not that he was the only one, but if you watch the game, you know what I mean. He, he you, you have the feeling that and, and, and it was not as lopsided as the final score would indicate because there was a scoop and score at the end. But um, you just had the feeling watching him, this guy's just not going to lose this game. Whatever he has to do, he's not going to lose. You were crying on the sideline, so emotional. Yeah. How did that all bubble up It just you? hit me. I mean, it just hit me. I didn't even watch this. I didn't even watch Keeley score. I thought he went down right when he caught it. Because as soon as he caught it, I just teared up. I just... Wasn't planning on it. I mean, good Lord. Uh, wow. Your national champion, Stetson. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Chris, wow. back to you. That's it's still setting in for him. Uh, great story, great game. Um, the worst, absolute worst thing that could ever happen is the worst thing that ever did happen to our country, and that was the Civil War. I mean, I don't care how you measure it, what measuring stick you use, what statistic you go by, the Civil War was the worst war. It was the worst for people who went through it, it was the worst for the after effects, the damage that it did. And in, in the history of any country, a civil war is the worst war. I mean, you might think, well, being invaded by an outside power or being occupied. No, it's not, nothing's worse than brother on brother. So to play with that concept, to talk about how we seem to be headed for one or uh, these these Republican election laws are going to... Th- that's an incredibly dangerous thing for Democrats and their liberal media friends to be manufacturing right now. And given their bloviating over Trump's big lie, they are doing one of their own. They're making one of their own. They are letting it be known that you cannot and should not trust the outcome of either the midterm 2022 elections nor the 2024 election. It's going to be illegitimate because they're changing the rules. And so we already have elections. Before all of this started, before we'd ever conceived of Donald Trump as president, we already lived in a country 
We're after an election, especially a close one, and we're a 50-50 country, it seems like. A sizable plurality, if not majority, of the voters for the losing team doubt, question, are not too sure about the outcome. That's already, that's already baked in. Anybody claiming to be a responsible leader would at least be interested in having less of that. These people want more of it. And um, a civil war doesn't have to be, a, you know, armies moving across several states. It wouldn't look like the 1860s. And we don't have a bo- we don't have a Mason Dixon line. We don't have the stark difference between slave states and non-slave states that they had in 1861. But when people feel like debate doesn't work anymore, I I'm not being heard anymore, I'm being deplatformed, or conversely, I don't know if my vote counted. I don't know if I can believe these numbers they're running on the TV screen on election night. I saw something on YouTube. I heard something here. I saw something there. I, I think it becomes not a, a, a an actual overt war, but I think it becomes a thing where our country is down and out. You know that that expression people use you've heard callers say it numerous times everybody says it kind of without thinking where they say we're all in the same boat oh we got to get through this we're all in the same boat we got to get through this weather we're all in the same boat we got to get through the epidemic we're all in the same boat we got to get through you know when when you have what i'm describing we're not all in the same boat and we know it and um you saw a little bit of it in the summer of 2020 I mean, you you had a situation where Americans, American citizens on American soil in cities and towns and neighborhoods they'd spent their whole lives in weren't sure of anything. They weren't sure their business would be there when they locked it up at night and they went back the next morning. They weren't sure their store where they bought their food or supplied their home would be there. They weren't sure they could go to the gas station or there'd be gas at the gas station. They're, they weren't sure that they could stay in the neighborhood they lived in. And they weren't sure they could sell their house if they decided to leave. Now picture that on a broader scale over a longer period of time. You start to get the idea. So is there a new civil war coming? Well, the, the right answer is we should hope not. And to be talking it up the way the left is right now, it, to me, and you can differ if you want, it sounds like they want it. And that's what I was saying earlier about this isn't a situation anymore where there's some middle ground. If I own a factory and you believe in nationalizing all the factories that the government should take over what's the middle ground we would reach how would we how would we find a halfway point between those two things if i believe that my child is my responsibility i i brought him or her into this world and you believe that my child belongs to the government and the government's school system where's the middle ground on that the the positions that are being taken don't lend themselves to a compromise, and the people taking them, they don't want half a loaf anyway. They don't want half 
of what they're demanding. Do they sound like they do? Do you get that impression? Do you get the impression that AOC would take half of what she's demanding or Bernie Sanders would take half of what he's demanding? I don't. Not at all. When you watch CNN or MSNBC, do they seem like they're halfway interested in your values or your views? It's pretty clear, right? So if you're going to go into this arena, you have to go into it to win. You have to say, we will not find middle ground. We will not accept halfway. And I think the problem with the Republican Party, capital R, Republican Party, is there's too many of them that still think, Oh, we just have to find middle ground. I hear them say it all the time, Kevin McCarthy and some of these other guys. They may be good people. I don't know them. But I can't imagine what they are thinking would be middle ground with what you and I are, are confronting, right? And I know this is kind of dark and dire, and I don't mean it to be, but it, somebody has to say it. You know, you, you, if, you, if, if somebody broke into your house and they were coming through the window... Or bringing down your door? Would would you say, well, let's find some middle ground? You know, maybe I'll let you come this far, but no further. I mean, right? It's kind of where this is at. Last week, President Harris and I stood in the United States Capitol to observe one of those before and after moments in American history. (laughs) Can't make it up. Can't make it up. President Harris. And what are you? Who are you? Uh, 640 on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Coming up, results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Congratulations to uh, the Ford Maverick pickup and Ford Bronco, named Truck and SUV of the Year at the North American uh, Car, Truck, and Utility Vehicle Awards. So the Maverick and the Bronco were winners for Ford. The Honda Civic was named North American Car of the Year. That's a nice-looking car. Nice design. I like all of those, by the way. Uh, the CEO of Rolls-Royce uh, did an interview with the Financial Times. And if I was the um, publicity department at Rolls-Royce, I might not let him do any more interviews. <laughs> this, this guy. Um, he did an interview where he said, in the 127-year history of Rolls-Royce, they have just had their best year. Okay, so far so good. 2021 was the best year in the history of Rolls-Royce. Why? COVID deaths. <laughs> what? What well, I can't wait to see that TV commercial. COVID deaths were good for business, says the head man at Rolls-Royce. He explains that as people saw their friends, family, neighbors, Dying of COVID, it brought home for them that life is short and you better live now. Don't postpone, don't put off, you know, uh, 
rewarding yourself or indulging yourself, and I guess people do that. I mean, is that why you don't have a Rolls Royce? Because you're just waiting a few more years? Is that why I don't have one? Am I, am I waiting? Am I just putting off my Rolls Royce? Is that what I'm doing? Uh, he says that because people were dying around you, you realize if I'm ever going to get one of these, I need to get it now. And they had a 49% increase in business over the previous year, and it was the best year in the history of Rolls-Royce, a car company whose um, average price is around half a million dollars and on up. In fact, a lot of luxury car companies had the best year they've ever had, Lamborghini, Bentley, and some others. Is he right? (laughs) Is that what's going on? I would have thought maybe it was... You know, if I had to guess, and I didn't even know that it was their best year, I don't really keep up with Rolls-Royce, but um, I, I might have thought that it was their best year because if you're a person that can afford a Rolls-Royce, and I'm not, I'm not trying to stereotype or anything, but maybe you weren't doing other things that you normally would do, like you weren't doing a lot of traveling or you weren't, visiting your different homes around the world or so maybe buying that car and taking it home and enjoying it and parking it in the garage i mean that maybe there was more time for that like that that would make sense to me but he says no people saw their friends dying and realized better get my rolls royce okay i mean maybe he knows i mean he, he he should know right he runs the company um, the average age of the Rolls-Royce customer dropped last year, so that would explain it. There's a woman in Australia uh, who is getting married in six weeks. Congratulations, right? And, you know, uh, when you're leading up to... Well, I don't know. It's really not true for guys. When When guys are getting married, they just show up on the wedding day. I went to... I think I went to Lowe's the morning of my wedding. But you, you, uh, you know, w- women worry about the details, and they're usually the ones that have to plan the wedding, and they want to make everything right and get everything right. And uh, so the weeks leading up to a, a, a wedding can be very nerve-wracking. This woman is worried about COVID. She's worried that she might catch COVID right before her big day. So she's trying to catch COVID now. She's never had it. She doesn't want it to spoil her wedding day. She knows that it would. So she's on TikTok showing people all the things she's doing to try to catch COVID. She's nightclubbing. She's hugging strangers. I don't know if she's like not washing her hands or licking doorknobs or what, but she's out there trying to get COVID so that she can get it out of the way. And about half the people on TikTok are saying, yeah, that's that's a good idea, that's smart. Good life hack. And the other half of the people are like, what in the hell is the matter with you? Or whatever the equivalent expression is in Australia. What's wrong with you, mate? Yeah, so some people are saying, good idea. Some people are saying, that is so stupid. I, I, I have to tell you, it's none of my business, but having had COVID, I would not try to get it i'm not that's not a good plan i mean i got through it you'll get through it but 
Yeah, you don't want to try to get it. Not. This isn't like I'm going to eat my broccoli first to get it out of the way. You know what I'm saying? Um, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, the question tonight, if you're a baseball fan, i, I got to ask that because a lot of people just have no interest in this at all. But if you're a baseball fan, do you like the designated hitter rule? It was born on this day in 1973, and it is going to become universal in both leagues this coming baseball season. Well, you're apparently I'm not the only uh, old stick in the mud. 91% no, don't like the DH. 9% yes. Uh, on the uh, JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing, we'll have a new question tomorrow night. At 4, you can always find the JR poll anytime at ktsa.com. We're talking about that crazy uh, story out of Australia where the woman is trying to catch COVID ahead of her wedding so she doesn't catch COVID over her wedding date. I I, I am sure she went public with it. She, she put it out on TikTok, but I am sure there are people doing that. Don't you think so? I'm sure there are people that are that have some big thing coming up in their lives. They know it's coming. It can't be moved or rescheduled or put off at the last minute. I had to reschedule a haircut. That was, a, <laughs> that was about the biggest inconvenience I had. But, um, you know, so there, there, I'm sure there are people trying to preemptively get it so they don't get it later. I don't know about that. The uh, public health officials in Quebec think they might have hit upon a winning formula for getting people vaccinated. They now require proof of vaccine to buy liquor or pot in Quebec. Don't tell the American politicians, right? Love that idea. Um, There's a story today of a lady. This is a beautiful story. 106 years old, Dorothy Ned, celebrated on Saturday her 106th birthday. Lives in in South Philadelphia. She is a uh, great-grandmother of nine and a great-great-grandmother of one. She got her hair did for her birthday. She says that her long life is due to serving the Lord. She has been going to church her whole life. She was taken to church by her grandmother. She brought her grandchildren to church. But she also says she attributes her longevity. You know, there's always that other thing, right? There's always that other quirk or habit. or. So Dorothy Ned says she also believes she's lived this long because she likes Big Macs. So the Lord and Big Macs. And, you know, obviously, obviously, the Big Mac isn't a, a health food. But I wonder if when you, when you hear people who have lived to be 100 and they say, well, I have a beer every day, or I have a Big Mac, or I, you know, I like sweets, or I like, you know what I mean? There's always something they, they enjoy. Maybe it isn't the Big Mac or the beer. Maybe it's just not always saying no to yourself. Maybe people live long and, and, and have a good long life because they haven't organized their entire existence around denial, self-denial. 
Like, I don't know if we'll, will there ever be like people living to 106 who are vegans? Probably not, right? <laughs> you never, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on vegans. You're lovely people, but you know, you never, you never see the 106 year old on the news say, well, I attribute this to eating plant based. No, it, right? So maybe it isn't the Big Mac for Dorothy Ned. Maybe it's just that Dorothy Ned lets herself be happy, lets herself have things. I'm sure that's not all she eats. I'm sure she doesn't eat one every day, probably. You know, it's good to be healthy. It's good to improve your habits or improve your diet or whatever. But it's it's not good to organize your whole existence or or to get too addicted to denying yourself pleasures, simple pleasures. And I got to tell you, and again, I'm not saying I'm any kind of an expert. I'm not going to write a book or anything, but my my own journey uh, with weight loss it it turns out swearing off all your favorite foods is a terrible idea don't do it you have to know that you're going to have them sometimes to do it whether you're losing 5 pounds 15 pounds 50 pounds you you have to know there will be pizza <laughs> you have to know there will be chocolate and there will be and there can be she's 106 she's very happy Goes to church, has a Big Mac once in a while. Says that she got into Big Macs because her grandmother would take her to McDonald's after church. So there you go. Maybe she should write a book. See, the thing about people like her is it's, it's not really a book. It's just very. It's, I think it's just that simple. They're happy. I love this story. I don't. I don't mean to crow, or I'm not trying to belittle anybody they had a swim meet and um the uh controversy was over a transgender swimmer for the university of pennsylvania leah thomas controversial because of the transgender thing leah thomas was crushed in her collegiate swim meet by another transgender competitor a transgender swimmer from Yale named Isaac Hennig. <laughs> it's almost like, yeah, right? Like, be careful what you wish for. What do you do? Who can you complain to? If you're a transgender swimmer and you get beaten by another transgender swimmer, who do you complain to? So that happened. Um, there's a story out of Scotland about a woman who went to get a fertility treatment. And they told her, uh, and she didn't know this. I don't know if they had announced it and she had missed it or what. She went to get a fertility treatment. You get, you get a series of those. And she was due for the next one. And they said, you can't get it unless you're vaccinated. Liquor, pot, fertilization treatments. What's left? Can you get a Big Mac? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm sure we will find out very soon. We'll talk about everything going on in the news and in our lives tomorrow. We'll get started here at 4 or find our show on demand anytime on the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com.